Hey, Cornerstone, good morning. Uh, Pastor John here, and I am so excited to be here with y'all today. Today, we're in the final week of our Promises of God series, and we're going to spend some time focusing on uh, the memory of God and just the wonderful promise that God's perfect, flawless memory has for us. So uh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read from God's word and we'll pray and we'll dive right in. Isaiah um, chapter 44, verse 21 says this. Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant, Israel. Israel, you will never be forgotten by me. I have swept away your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Let's pray. Uh, Our Father, we come to you and we thank you for your perfect memory. Would you help us to remember ourselves and remember you as you remember? God, set this divine alarm clock in our head to remind us when we think you've forgotten us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, We are at the mercy of our memory. We are at the mercy of our memory. Here's what I mean by that. When you think of our memory, uh, the key word that should come to your mind is the word can't, right? Um, We don't control our memories as much as we think, uh, but our memories control us more than we could ever imagine. Here's what I mean by this. We don't control them as much as we think. Uh, The key word here is can't, right? There are things that we want to remember, but we can't, right? We want to remember where we put our car keys. We want to remember the feeling that we had when we first fell in love. We want to remember the lyrics to our favorite song, but we can't. Um, And as sure as there are things that we can't remember, Uh, There's things that we can't forget. We want to forget the ways we've been betrayed. We want to forget the trauma that we've endured. We want to forget things that we've seen that have shaped us, but we can't. We are at the mercy of our memories, right? Uh, We don't control them as much as we think, but here's what I mean. They control us much more than we imagine. Look, um, your memory not your history affects how you act in the present. It's not the things that have happened. It's the things that you remember that shape it. You know this, right? Um, If you schedule a meeting with somebody, that's history, something that took place in the past. If you actually go through and meet with them, uh, that is your memory acting to affect your present. We've all scheduled a meeting with somebody, history, and forgotten that we set that meeting up with them and find ourselves in a place where when we should be getting ready for that meeting, we're living as if we have no obligation. And that's because it's your memory, not your history that shapes how you live in the present. And when we bring those two together, here's the problem especially when sin comes in. Um, When sin comes in, we find out that uh, we can't forget the mistakes that people have made in their past, right? So it's not that we're actively holding a grudge against them. It's not that we want to be 
bitter and not to forgive them. It's just that we can't seem to forget what they've done wrong. And our memory affects the way that we presently shape them. And when we can't forget the things that they've done wrong, uh, it's hard for us to remember the good things about them. So it's impossible for us to tend to see people that have hurt us the most apart from the hurt that they've caused to us. So we paint this picture of them being all bad or all good, right? Sometimes the person is somebody else that we just can't seem to forget the wrong that they've done. Uh, Sometimes the person is you. You just can't seem to forget the wrong that you've done and you can't forgive yourself. Uh, But sometimes that person is God. You can't seem to forget the wrong that you feel like that he's done to you. You can't seem to forget the trauma that he let you endure. You can't seem to forget the family and socioeconomic upbringing that he let you grow up in. You can't seem to forget the way that people you thought were allies betrayed you. You can't seem to forget those things that God had allowed And what we do is we put the author of history on trial and the prosecutor is not history because he's not done writing. The prosecutor is our memory. It's not God's track record that we put on trial because his track record is flawless. All it shows is that there's this lack of trust that we have for him based on how things take place now. All of us are tempted to feel at times that God has forgotten us. And when we feel like God has forgotten us, we start to look somewhere uh, or to something else uh, to give us purpose, to remember us. We are at the mercy of our memories and they lead us to very, very dangerous places. This morning, what we need more than anything else is a divine alarm clock a calendar event, something that's meant to jog our memory of what God is really like. And that's what the prophet Isaiah gives us. What I love about Isaiah is the book is split up into two halves. Isaiah was a prophet that prophesied against Israel's sin, personal and corporate. He prophesied that, hey, y'all are individually involved in this idolatry, personal sin. God sees that systemically, y'all are oppressing the poor, those that lead. God sees it from the big to the small, from the individual to the institutional. God sees it all in chapters one through 39 is him saying, God is going to judge you and he's going to send you into exile. But chapter 40 through the end of the book says, although God is surely going to speak a word of judgment, God's final word isn't judgment. It's hope. And so the latter part of the book are words that Isaiah left after he died um, so that when the people came back from exile and were tempted to look at the hardship that they endured in the past and think that God had forgotten them, Isaiah left a calendar reminder, an event note, an alarm clock for them to be reminded of the goodness of God. This morning, we need an alarm clock. We need a new vision. 
And that's where these words come in. He tells them, remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant, Israel. You will never be forgotten by me. I have swept away your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me for I have redeemed you. Look, since God is the author of history, God is not at the mercy of his memory. God is the master of his. And that promise is the source of security for you. In these two verses, what Isaiah is saying this, and it's what you need to hold onto that will forever change uh, your thoughts of God as you are reminded of his thoughts of you and God's promise today is this. When it comes to God, you, all of us who are his people, you will never be forgotten by God and your sin won't be remembered. God won't forget you and he won't remember your sin. What I love is even if you read these two verses, the first thing that should jump out to you is this activeness, right? When we talk about we're at the mercy of our memories, uh, the key word there is can't. There are things that we would like to forget and like to remember that we can't. When God talks about his, he doesn't use the word can't. He uses the word won't. It is very active. God won't forget you and he won't remember your sin. So let's just spend some time real quick. We're going to look at two things, the permanent, the passing away. And then I've got one implication and I'm going to get out of your way. The very first one is this, the permanent God's love and affection for you. His people is permanent. God says this, I will never forget you. You will never be forgotten by me. Um, do you remember being at camp when you were a kid and you would meet the love of your life and you would end off at the end of the week that you were there with them and you would say these words like girl or yeah, boy, uh, I will never forget you. And then you start the school year and you forget them when you meet your next crush, right? Or um, politicians, right? The reason why they get elected is because they overpromise. Politics is all about who can overpromise the best and the most convincing. The thing that hurts us about promises is that we hear them from time to time and we believe them, but in the back of our mind, we know. That's not real. You're over promising. This is not the case with God. The author of history cannot over promise. So what God's going to say in verse 21 is this. God's going to tell them, yo, I formed you. You are my servant. You will never be forgotten by me. The thing that you have to know about Isaiah chapter 44 is this. It's God trying to draw these people away from idolatry, the things that they put their hope in. And he just shows how silly it is that you have these people that are forming their gods with their hands. And what God says is this. No, no, no. Listen, listen. the person that forms the image is the God. So you have these people that are putting their hands to the plow and they are working and working and working 
thinking that the things that they build are the things that are going to give them fulfillment. And God says, that's silly. It's not just that your idols of wood and stone or your idols of achievement and success and admiration and love. It's not just that those things will forget you when things uh, get rough. It's that they don't have a memory. It's that they'll fail you. And what God's saying is, look, I formed you. I'm the God. I love you. And then he says these words, I will never forget you. Again, you see that word, that key word, never. And we tend to respond to the promises of God that he will never forget us the way we respond to our family members when they say things like, I love you. We say things like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I know that you love me. And we say, God, yeah, well, this is plain. All right. I know God knows all. I know God will never forget me. But I think there's two things that stand in the way of us really embracing this truth. The now and the later. We can hear that God will never forget us. And one of the things that stands in the way of that truth is, God, how can I really be sure? Because right now where I stand, it feels like you've forgotten me. There's some of you out there right now that feel like, God, I know you said you'll never leave me or forsake me, but right now that I'm jobless in the midst of this pandemic, I sure do feel left and forsaken. There's some of y'all that are out there that'll say, God, I know you said you'll uh, never forget me, but right now, as I'm standing up for the things that I think are clear in your words as it relates to justice and mercy and working for wholeness, it feels like people that I thought were with me turned their back on me. God, I know you said you will never leave me or forsake me, but right now is standing in the way of me believing that you're never going to leave. We undergo hardship and oppression, isolation, condemnation. And what God is trying to help us see is, or what God's trying to help us see through Isaiah is, yo, look, 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 looks can be deceiving. And it's for this reason that God wants you and I to take our eyes off of the now and to be reminded that his words are always true, regardless of how things look right now. The promise that God made is that he will never leave us, that we will never be forgotten. And we can look to Jesus Christ and be reminded of the fact that the same promise that God made to us, God made to him. And it sure did look like he was forgotten on the cross, but on the cross uh, after the cross and the grave, God raised them up in all power and glory. Looks can be deceiving. Don't let the now stand in the way of believing God's never. Uh, but it's not just the now that stands in the way of us believing this permanent promise of God. It is the later. That's what makes marriage so hard because you sit there with somebody and you make these vows, right? For rich or for poor, for better or worse, I'll be here with you. And you can say, well, I know you want to be here with me now. I'm all cleaned up. I got my hair cut. I got my beard trimmed right, right? I got my hair done. I got the veil. I got the makeup on now. I know you'll be here with me now, but what about later? What about when you find out all the stuff that I've done in my past that I didn't disclose? What about when you find out who I really am and the habits that I can't seem to get past, the sin that I feel like identifies me? 
What if in the future I do something so bad that it disillusions the commitment that you make towards me? That would sta- that's what stands in the way of us believing the promise that God will never leave us or forsake us. Because deep down inside, I think when we sit with ourselves, we realize there is sin, there's wrong, there's things in our lives that make us utterly forsakeable. Somebody promising never to forget you isn't always good news, right? We remember our heroes like Dr. King, John Lewis. We remember our heroes, people that fought for freedom. We remember people that loved us and cared for us. But we also remember our enemies. We remember people that are both famous. And as Dave Chappelle once said, uh, we remember people that are famous, but we also remember people that are infamous. We remember Peter, but we also remember Judas. Somebody saying, I'll never forget you, isn't always good news. But the good thing with God is that God saying, I will never forget you, is paired with him saying, yo, yo, I want you to hear not just what I won't forget, but what I won't remember. The author of history has written history and has, in his wisdom and providence, done away with the worst of your history. Look here, it goes on, verse 22. I have swept away your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me for I have redeemed you. What we see here is that God has said his thoughts, his love, affection for us are permanent and what's passing away is his knowledge of your sin. He won't remember it. And what I love about this is that God is not just a preacher speaking propositions. God through Isaiah is a poet singing this truth so that you would feel it. Isaiah 43, 25, God's going to say this. I've swept away your transgression and I will remember your sin no more. He's explicit. But here God says, no, 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 look, I've swept away your transgressions. And then he throws in a simile like a cloud. I've done away with your sins like a mist. God is singing it so that you and I would feel it. What he's saying here, sweeping away our transgressions is shorthand for the fact that I will remember your sins no more because God has done something about it. He's treated it like a cloud and a mist and it's understanding him speaking about sin in a metaphor like this that is really empowering and liberating. What you know about a cloud and a mist is It's a different level of transience, y'all, right? You walk through the mud and even though you're gone, you leave footprints. There's an impression that you were there. You sit in a seat that somebody else sat in and you expect it to be cold, but it's warm, 
right? There's an impression that they were there even after they left. When a cloud moves, it's gone, gone, y'all. It is gone, gone. There is no impression. It doesn't leave anything behind. It is as if it was never there. And when God talks about the sin that you think in your life is so permanent and identifies you and is at the core of your being and is the hallmark of who you are, God's saying, I've swept that away like a cloud. You don't track clouds the way that you track stars because once they're gone, they are gone, gone. And this metaphor is so good on so many levels because this, we look at clouds and they are these big um, balls of water vapor. And look, they're not actually heavy. It seems like they should be easy enough to sweep away. But when was the last time that you, with your power, had the ability to blow a cloud away? You can't. It's out of your reach. And even if you could fly up there, you can't move it. It is impossible for you. And that's how sin feels individually and institutionally. That's how sin feels across the board. It feels like this immovable force that is easy enough to be done away with, but it stays and lingers. And what God says is what is impossible and excruciating for you is effortless for me. I've swept it away like a cloud. I've blown it away. The wind of God has dealt with your sin once and for all, and there is no lasting impression or imprint on your soul. Now, it comes free of charge for you, but I want you to know, um, you know, when you gather up a bunch of rain clouds, all that water that is pressed together, has to rain. It's got to fall on somebody. And the good news of the gospel message is that all of these sins that God condemned them for, all of these sins that are very present in our world today, all of these clouds of sin that block the rays of the warmth of God's sunshine, God swept them away, but he gathered them all up over his son, Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life And came preaching to us about God's love. Jesus said, in order to demonstrate God's love, here's what I'm going to do. On the cross, I'm going to sit under all of the rain clouds of humanity's sins. As they are gathered up, God swept them away, but he gathered them up over Jesus. And he said, on the cross... I'm actually going to drink from the cup of God's wrath. And that creates a different picture. God's wrath for sin, the individual and the institutional is too big to fit in a cup. It is rain clouds that were poured into rain buckets and Jesus consumed them all on your behalf so that God swept away that sin over you, but he maintained his justice by providing them to somebody who could take them and 
survive. God is the author of history. And the reason why he can say that he will never forget you and he won't remember your sin is because he's written the story of history to deal with the sin that you think defines you. God's the master of his memory. Look, God is at the mercy of his God is not at the mercy of his memory, which means God ain't at the mercy of yours either. On your very worst day, God doesn't feel about you the way that you feel about you. Right. There's a conception of you in your mind that can't separate you from the sin that you've done. But God says, I won't forget you and I won't remember your sin. And it's not that if I take off your sin, I get half of you. It's that in the removal of our sin, it's actually the fuller, truer us. It is the us that God intended. It is the us. For those of us that have put our trust and faith in Jesus, it is the us that God sees right now. As he looks at you, it's the conception that he will have of you for all eternity. That is God's great love for you in Christ Jesus. And what Isaiah is saying to people who think that God has forgotten them is he's saying, I want you to remember that. I want you to remember that God doesn't feel about you the way that you now feel about you. He's saying, I want you not just to remember, but to rejoice that when we rejoice and praise what that is, it's the reflex of the soul that really embraces the truth about God. This Bible, this book is full of promises like this to be a window into who God is. So we don't have to wait for tragedy to turn us to God. It's actually the goodness of God that turns us back to him, that draws us to him. And when we have this gratitude, do you know what it does? It affects the grudges that we hold uh, against people. Because we are reminded, when we're tempted to hold a grudge against somebody else, we're reminded that we can't forget that God won't forget them. We can't hold on and remember to their sins, their shortcomings, their betrayals. If God himself, the person who the offense was committed, has worked in history to ensure that he will never remember them. We don't, (laughs) we should not forget the things that God has committed to remember. And we should not remember the things that God has committed to forget. We pray that we would be good theologians and think God's truths after him. It is our redeemed memories and not of regrettable histories that are meant to shape how you and I live in the present. We have a good God who has promised that he won't forget you. And he will not remember your sin and the grace that we have. The privilege that we have is to spend our lives proclaiming that message in both word and deed and drawing people to embrace God through his goodness. Your memory, not your history, shapes how you live in the present. 
And as we engage with God's word, we have the chance daily, right? So starting tomorrow, as we take our year-long journey through the Bible, we have a chance daily to redeem our memories and to live victorious and rejoicing in the present, regardless of our history, because we know that we have a future hope coming. Let's pray. Our Father, oh, give us grace to remember what you remember and to forget what you forget. Thank you for your amazing vision for us, your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.